Our church is different this week because of last week. Uh, who we are is different. Uh, hundreds of you uh, joining together, thousands of you and more praying together uh, for God to do amazing things, and he did. Over 1,200 enrolled, over uh, 1,180 in attendance. We saw God do amazing things, and our church is different. 46 children, grades 3, 4, and 5, 46 of those children came to faith in Jesus Christ. Six uh, middle schoolers came to faith in Christ. Uh, This past week, we saw 51 people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We're not the same church we were last week. Countless seeds planted, families connected to this body of believers in ways that they had never been connected before. And people finding out that there is such a thing as church and fun and they can go together. First Norfolk on Volvo is a pretty amazing story. Last year we had almost 100 at uh, Vacation Bible School. This year we had 200 at Vacation Bible School at First Norfolk on Volvo, our other location. We doubled attendance. Uh, we, we saw uh, 15 children come to faith in Christ at First Norfolk on Volvo. Guys, this is an amazing work of God's grace, and it's because of your faithfulness. And it's because of your commitment. It's because of this church's courage to do the unusual thing, to step out of the box and to give time, energy, and effort uh, to invest uh, six hours, uh, eight hours, nine hours every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, to invest those hours at uh, three different locations, four different uh, times and opportunities Uh, Hundreds of you gathered together, sharing, pouring your heart out to these children and to the parents, telling them about Jesus and how he's changed your life and how he uh, sets the course for the future for us and and how that without him we're lost, but with him we're found. Uh, We're a different church this week. And we're a better church this week. And I'm thankful. And I'm thankful for you and I'm thankful for Uh, the investment that we make each year in Vacation Bible School and other ministry programs like that. I'm thankful for the leadership that we have. Uh, And Julie Hunt, an amazing job she has done at Vacation Bible School. And what's really amazing is Julie put together a team who did an amazing job. And I'm thankful for all of you who worked so diligently Um, But the work just begins now. I mean, we had fun last week. This is breathing time, right? Some of you who came to Vacation Bible School and you're like, the preacher's like not jumping around or anything. And Dude, I'm tired, right? (laughs) We're all a little tired. Now, this is a a breathing week. And and in a lot of ways, it's a time for us to kind of catch our breath before we start our next run towards student camp and toward children's camp and uh, all the other things we have for the summer. Uh, but I'm thankful that you're here today and, 
And it's my hope and prayer that this week would be a week of blessing. This is a July 4th week. Uh, July 4th comes later in the week. Uh, and uh, for those of us in this uh, church, we, we value July 4th. Now, we're not celebrating July the 4th, 2019. You know that, right? Uh, I can eat a hot dog any day of the week, right? Um, we're celebrating July the 4th, 1776. It was 243 years ago that 56 courageous men gathered together at the Pennsylvania State House uh, and signed their lives away for a new way of life. These 56 men gathered together and they blazed a trail to this new way of life that would mark the course for this nation as we pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, and justice for all. And we're not a perfect nation, not by any stretch, but boy, we're blessed to live in this land. We have a team going to Spain. We have a team that's in Malawi, uh, uh, wheels on the ground. They're making their way right now uh, to their church where they're going to be doing vacation Bible school. Malawi is pretty safe, but you go north to a place called Yemen and you try to talk about Jesus and you're going to be run out of, run out of the country at best, killed at worst. And we know that not every nation in this land experiences religious freedom. But we do, and for that, we are tremendously grateful. But these 56 men courageously signed their names to the Declaration of Independence that set the path for our nation uh, to be a nation where freedoms are enjoyed and fought for and defended. And for that, we're grateful. Uh, On that day in 1776, um, hope uh, was awakened for 13 American colonies seeking freedom uh, from the British Empire. More importantly than what happened, and by the way, there are a lot of things more important than what happened July 4, 1776. Uh, Not the least of which is what happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus signed his life away, was born in a manger in a stable so that he might live his life perfectly and blaze a trail for sinners like you and me to have friendship with God. Through his death and his resurrection, faith became sight and hope was awakened for all humanity. After all, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The reason we have hope today is not because we live in the land of the free and home of the brave or home of the free and land of the brave, whichever way it goes. That's not why we have hope. We have hope because we have a God who has loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for our sin so that we could live eternally with him in glory. And that's where our hope resides. And we're thankful and we give honor to those uh, courageous men who uh, suffered the trials and the hardships and the difficulties and even the loss of income and, and perhaps even fear of loss of life. And some of them did give their lives. All those courageous men and their families and other colonists who, who set up this, 
this great victorious land in which we live. We are thankful and we give honor to that. But friends, our hope rests in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone, and we, we rest in him. And it's my hope and prayer today that we might have hope awakened in us that we might sense the hope that we have not because of what we do not because of where we live but we have hope because we belong to Jesus in first Peter chapter uh, 4 and Peter begins to unwrap for us what it means to have that living hope that that is our hope regardless our circumstances how many of y'all had a bad day this week this past week just one bad day anybody anybody have a bad half day any bad half days out there did anybody have a bad hour this past week you might have a bad hour how many of you had a bad year Some people have been living in a bad decade. And there's hope for you. Whether the tough times are for now or for a season or for the rest of your life, and that is true for some, there's hope. A hope that digs down deep into our soul and gives us satisfaction and purpose a hope that isn't explained by circumstance. A hope that gives us confidence that God is working great and marvelous things in the here and the now, despite what is happening in us or to us or around us. That's who Peter was writing to. He was writing to people that because they were followers of Jesus, they were getting killed. They were getting fired from their job. They were getting kicked out of their homes. And yet, Peter says, there's hope. I I pray that you and I would be awakened to the hope and that God would awaken that hope in us every day, even in the bad times, even in the tough times, even in the chaos times, even as we're walking a trail of tears and trials, we might have hope. And that is what we have as followers of Jesus. But in order to take hold of that, we got to take hold of Jesus. You see, the one who gives us hope is Jesus. If we're going to have hope awakening in us each day, it's because we're walking and living in concert, in step with Jesus. Can I tell you, that's kind of what being a Christian is about. I know that so many take the term Christian and they put it on their lapel or they put it in their Bible or they, they, they put it on their census form. Yes, I'm a Christian, but they don't any more follow Jesus than, than I follow a hamster. I, we, we, when we're talking about being a Christian, we're talking about following Jesus. That means we live the way he lived. The apostle Paul said it this way in, in uh, Colossians chapter 127. He said, here's our hope for glory. It's Christ in you. It's Christ in me. It's that I am submitting my life to Jesus in such a way that I'm living like Jesus wherever I go, whom, with whomever I hang, uh, whatever I'm doing, whether it's at work or at school or at home or in my neighborhood uh, or at the beach or in the mountains, it doesn't matter. I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus. And that's what awakens hope in me. 
The living hope that Peter described in chapter 1, verse 3 is a a living hope through Jesus Christ. So as, as I'm living like Jesus, I'm being awakened each day to hope. Hope in you. I mean, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if we're going to live the way Jesus lived, what does that look like? Well, first and foremost, it means that we live for God's glory. And we live for God's glory. Jesus lived for God's glory. Now, here's the thing. Is God's honor, his glory, is that your supreme ambition in life? Not making grades, not, not, uh, not finding a date. Some of y'all been looking for a while. Um, not finding a date. I had to look a long time. Uh, not, not, uh, not making money. Not getting a new home. Not buying a new car. No, my supreme ambition in life is God's glory, is honor, his honor and fame. See, as followers of Jesus, that's got to be our supreme ambition. Not a side note, not a footnote, not in the margin of our life, but it is the essence of our life. If we're going to live like Jesus and have hope awakening in us, then we've got to live for God's glory. That's what Jesus did. John chapter 17, okay, he's about to die on a cross. And he knows it. He's going to the cross. And on his way, he begins to pray. And this prayer gives us insight into what his ambition in life was all about. This is Jesus. And he's, he says, Father, Heavenly Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that, here's purpose, ambition, so that your son might also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, verse 5 of John 17. Jesus continues in prayer, and he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work you've given me to do. Friends, that must be our ambition as well. If we're going to uh, soak in the hope of God, then we need to live like Jesus. And that means our supreme ambition is to live for God's glory. God awakens hope in our heart when we live for his glory. So how do we live for his glory? That's one of the things that Peter's really getting at here is how to live for God's glory. Now you look at verse 11, very last phrase in verse 11, another purpose statement. He says, so that In all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. He's talking about in your life, as you follow after Jesus, may God be glorified because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So how do we live for God's glory? In these next few moments, I just want to help us live like Jesus. That's really the task. And as we live like Jesus, we're going to live for God's glory, and as we live for God's glory, we have hope awakened in us. Hope in spite of bad circumstances. In in, in spite of doubts, confusion, fog, or fear, we have hope, the confident expectation that God is doing and will continue to do great and marvelous things for those who belong to him. When every equation around me says you need to live freaking out, 
I don't freak out anymore because I'm living in hope. Because the only equation that matters to me is that I have a living hope through Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. So right now, let's just take a few moments. We're going to end a little bit differently. Everybody's going to have an opportunity to begin to apply what God has shared through his word. So, so as we take the next few moments, let's see how we can have hope awakened in our heart. How can we soak in hope by living like Jesus and living for God's glory? All right? So what do we do? The first thing is that we must spend time with God purposefully. Look at verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. You know what he's saying there? There's going to be a day, and it could be today. It could be right now. There's going to be a day when every follower of Jesus is going to be held responsible and accountable for the life that we live here and how well we live for God's glory. I want you to hear that because you don't hear that enough, and I don't say it enough, and I don't hear it enough because I don't listen to it enough, but we need to hear this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, you write that down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11 says that we all, as followers of Jesus, every person here who belongs to Jesus, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an answer for the things that we do in the body, whether good or bad. God is going to hold every Christian responsible and accountable for how well we lived for his honor and glory. Which begs the question, how you doing? How you doing? We need to take seriously the mandate to live for God's glory, all right? Knowing the time. So the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. When uh, my mom and dad would go away on a, uh, uh, shopping at the mall, they would uh, make their way home. Uh, I, it was before cell phones and find my friends or anything like that. I didn't know when they were coming home, but I knew generally the time frame that they would go and we would map it out. My older brother Brett and I, we'd map it out in our minds how much time we had. And we would create all kinds of chaos in the house. And it would be crazy. And mom and dad would always leave us chores to do before they got back home. And we had to get them done. And so, uh, so uh, it, it, when they first left, we, we, we horsed around, didn't really, mess, didn't really mess with all the stuff that we had to do, created more messes than we cleaned. And, and then as the time began to draw near, you could feel it. There's an internal clock. You all know this? Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about when your wife is coming home and she's asked you to do the dishes and you haven't done them yet. You've got that internal clock that starts ticking. Really, y'all are way sundified today, I'm telling you. As we, uh, as we have that clock ticking, that internal clock ticking, you know that, that they're coming. They're coming, and I'm going to be held responsible and accountable for what I have or have not done. So you start getting a little bit more urgent. You start getting serious. I mean, Brett, Eric, you've got to clean your room. Don't throw it under the bed. Don't throw it under the bed. They're going to look under the bed. Don't throw it under the bed. Start getting serious. Eric, go look out the window. Go look out the window. Are they here yet? Are they here yet? I thought I heard a car door slam. Oh, goodness, they're here. We're not done. You know. So what Peter says is because the time is at hand, we need to get serious about spending time with God each day. 
And this makes sense. That's what Jesus did. Do you realize there, that, that Jesus, it was his custom to get away by himself. Even if that meant he had to spend all night in prayer, uh, spend all night uh, with God, uh, or get up early in the next morning, or stay up late, no matter what. He was going to take the time. The Son of God, the Messiah, was going to take the time to hear from his Father's heart. And to talk to the Father about his troubles. If Jesus had to do it, why in the world do we think that we can have hope if we don't? When Peter says we need to uh, be watchful and serious in our prayers, when we talk about, did you say your prayers? I get that, and that's good. That's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying it's incomplete to what Peter's talking about here. He's not saying you break open the book of common prayer and you go through today's prayer. He's not saying that you go to the Valley of Vision and you open it up and you read a prayer for the day. He's not saying that you uh, get on our daily bread and make sure you get Dahan's prayer for the day. He's saying not just did you say a prayer. He's saying have you spent time, intimate moments with the Father? Or is that just a side note? Is that just in the margin of your day? If you get to it, fine. If you don't, no biggie. No, we need to be watchful and serious. We need to be clear-headed and urgent. We need to be purposeful about spending time with God. The only way we're going to live in hope, can I humbly suggest that maybe some of you are living a hopeless life even as a follower of Jesus, not because all things are bad, it's because in the midst of all bad things, you are not spending time with the Father. Or in the midst of all good things, you're not spending time with the Father. Hope doesn't come because circumstances soar. Hope comes because we're hand in hand with the guy, the God of the universe, the one who loves us sustains us, the one who is truly our hope. Spending time with God purposefully brings God glory and soaks our soul in hope. Secondly, uh, we need to love others fervently. Uh, I don't have to spend a lot of time on this, I don't think, but let me go ahead and read verse 8 and 9. Above all things, stop. When you see above all things, what does that mean? Above all things. What does it mean? Like, yeah, that kind of top of the list, right? I mean, you see that. It doesn't mean anything different in Greek. In Greek, it's propanton, which literally means above all things. It means hey, you need to put this thing at the top of the list. But above all things, love one another fervently. And then verse, verse, verse 9, that, it, it, he says, verse 8, love one another fervently. And then he gives some practical application. He says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling or complaining. He said, not only are you supposed to love people, you're supposed to open your home to them and don't complain about it. This is how we honor God. This is how we live for God's honor. This is how we soak our soul in hope. Now, loving fervently. You've heard me talk about this if you've been with me any period of time. Let me go ahead and talk. Loving fervently is not loving those who love me first. It's loving those who don't like me at all. 
Loving fervently isn't loving those who are like me, look like me, smell like me, act like me, have my moral code of conduct. No, loving fervently is loving those who despise the gospel and the things of God. Who don't look like me, don't act like me, don't smell like me. Who aren't part of my crew or my clique. Who aren't my friends and they wouldn't walk across the street to spit on me if I was on fire. And I'm supposed to love that person. Not just any kind of love, but not, not, not the, uh, oh, uh, you know, soap opera kind of love, but a love that is looking a lot like Jesus. A, a love that is sacrificial. No greater love is anyone than this than to lay down his life for his friends. That kind of love. The kind of love that Jesus lived where he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That kind of love. A love that looks a lot like dying for someone else. Not just our friends. Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. I say unto you, love your enemies. That's what Jesus said, not Eric. That's Jesus. So when we talk about loving one another or loving others fervently, it is bigger than just me being friends with the guys I hang out with. It is literally me sacrificing for the good of the other, even when the, good of the, when the other has no interest in my good. And Jesus said it this way. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. I don't want our church to be known for our music, our building, our preaching, our teaching, our programming. All that stuff's going to fade away. But man, if we are a church that is known by our love, that brings glory to God. One of the reasons perhaps we don't have hope is because we don't love well. We don't give God glory. We're not living for God's glory when we're not loving well. Both neighbor and stranger both friend and enemy, and frenemy. We have to love others the way Jesus has loved us. That's non-negotiable, living for God's glory. We need to spend time with God purposely, love others fervently. Third, we need to serve others faithfully. Why don't you look at verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift... Serve it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the word of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. Now, here's purpose. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Can I tell you something secret about church life? The more... We exercise the spiritual gift that God has given us in the church to serve others, not to serve ourselves, but to serve others. 
the more we glorify God and the more hope we have in the church. Some people look at the church and say, this church doesn't, it? well, we didn't have blah, 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 blah. That would be all negative talk when I do the blah, 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 blah. I don't like that church. That church isn't good. I don't believe that church cares, blah, 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 blah. Can I tell you? Most of the time, the people that are complaining about the church are the people who are sitting, sitting on the sidelines and not serving. And if they are serving, they're serving for their own benefit, not for the glory of God. I'm up here today, and I'm serving. Peter describes spiritual gifts in two categories, speaking or doing. That, that's how he describes it in, in, in 10 and 11, speaking or doing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, we've got a long list of different categories. In, in Romans chapter 12, we've got another list of different categories. Peter just, he's a fisherman. He likes it simple, either top water or under the water, right? It's either speaking or doing. So I'm exercising God, ha- by his grace, according to manifold grace of God, he has gifted me to be a preacher teacher. Okay, that, that's, that's my job, right? That's my gifting. So today, I'm exercising that gift. Can I tell you, if I'm up here exercising the gift so that you'll think that I'm a good speaker, then I am a clanging brass. I'm, it's nothing. In fact, God's going to judge me for it. Now, I don't say that flippantly. I've, I've, experienced the, I've experienced the judgment of God before because of how I've done this. And it's a painful, painful thing. I, the truth is, I love it. I do enjoy it when you come up and say, Pastor, thank you. That's a great sermon. It's a great talk. You're so funny. I like it when you use country music songs in your sermons. Use more. I, you know, I love all that stuff. I, it's great. I appreciate that. I really do. But guys, I'm going to do what I do, whether you like it or not. In fact, I, I, I don't hold that too close to my heart, any closer than I hold to my heart, the person who says, you are the worst speaker I've ever heard in my life. Now, I appreciate your opinion, but I, I don't hold that close to my heart. And the reason is because I'm not here to entertain you. If I am, then I'm doing it for your honor or for my honor, but I'm missing God's honor. See, if I'm here speaking for God's honor, the oracles of God... If I'm speaking for God's honor, then I'm free to say what God would say through his word, by his spirit to you, whether we like it or not. And so when I speak, you might say, that is mean, hateful, ugly, I don't like it, and I don't like you, and I say, to the glory of God. Or you may say, oh my goodness, we need to hear that today. What an edifying, glorious message. Pastor, that's awesome. And I say, to the glory of God. Because again, I'm not here to serve for your entertainment. I'm here to serve you for God's glory. That's what we did at Vacation Bible School, don't you know? At Vacation Bible School, hundreds of you gathered together, uh, investing your time and your energy I was talking to one of our workers and several of them over the past week. VBS, serving in vacation Bible school, is about endurance. That's what it's about, endurance. And I look around and I see you were faithful to the end. 
And God is honored by your faithfulness. And some of you were uh, sharing snacks. Some of you were singing. Some of you were teaching. And some of you were blazing trails. Some of you were washing cars or, or, or on megaphones outside and sweating all the time. But whatever you are doing, you are doing for the glory of God. And God is honored. And our church is different. We're living in a hope today that we didn't have yesterday because we served others faithfully. Makes all the difference. I'm telling you, it makes all the difference. What makes a church great? It's a church that lives for God's glory. What gives us hope? That we live for God's glory by serving others faithfully. I want you to bow your heads right now. There's a last point, and I won't talk about it, but the last, I guess I'm, I'm about to talk about it. Verses 12 through 17 says that we are to um, not count it strange when we go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith is happening in those trials. And so what God tells us is that we live for God's glory when we suffer joyfully. Suffer for God's glory joyfully. It means that when we're persecuted, and again, we live in a nation where we're not much persecuted for being a follower of Jesus. And by the way, uh, having people say mean things to you on Twitter is not the same thing as persecution, right? Persecution is when you lose your job because you're a follower of Jesus and following what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's persecution. And in our great nation, we don't experience that, at least not yet. And I'm thankful for that. But in times of testing, sometimes the suffering comes in form of relationships that are lost or uh, promotions that we don't get uh, because we're faithful followers of Jesus. Can I tell you that even in those moments we should rejoice with exceeding joy because we're walking hand in hand with Jesus who suffered on a cross for sinners like you and me and gained the victory through his resurrection from the dead. Suffering joyfully is counterintuitive. It's not something we would naturally say, oh yeah, I'm suffering, but I'm doing it joyfully. It's a supernatural work that God does in us that awakens hope even in the midst of seasons of sorrow. So here's what I want us to do as we close today, and this is the closing. I want us to really become a church filled with people soaking in hope. But that means that we've got to start living out Christ in us, the hope of glory. It means that we need to start walking and living with the ambition of Jesus every single day, directing our steps and moving us forward every single day so that we are living for God's glory. So let's all enter into a season of prayer right now. So everybody's praying. Would you have the courage to ask God, oh God, Where, in what way, 
Am I not living for your honor and glory? Just right now, just to ask God, God, where am I not living for your honor and glory? And as you ask the question, would you follow it up? God, I confess it as sin. Wherever I'm not living for your honor and glory, whether I, wherever I'm exalting my own personal ambitions, desires, uh, emotions, intellect, whatever it is, whatever I'm pushing to the top of my life rather than your honor and glory, I confess that pursuit as sinful and I turn from it. Would you pray that prayer? And then would you continue in prayer and follow it up with this? God, inspire me today and tomorrow and every day this week. Inspire me by your spirit through your word with a two-by-four or a gentle whisper, whichever reaches my heart. Inspire me to live for your glory because I've got a I'm responsible and I'm accountable for how I live for your glory each day. So I pray that you would inspire me to live for your glory. So that we may hear when we meet God face to face. Oh, you finished the work. You brought glory to me. As we continue in this prayer, as you continue in your prayer, will you continue by saying, oh God, will you challenge me each day to spend purposeful time with you? Oh God, help for me not to spend more time with Sean Hannity than I do with you. Oh, God, help for me not to spend more time on Instagram or Pinterest or Snapchat than I do with you. Oh, God, help for me not to spend more time surfing the Internet than I do with you. Oh, God, help for me to be purposeful in my time spent with you that I may soak in the hope you give. As we continue in prayer, would you say, oh God, help me to love others fervently. Even those that don't like me so much or maybe that I don't like so much, change my heart so I love them fervently. And help me not to Try to rationalize or limit the neighbor love that you call me to have for others. But let me be like the good Samaritan who stopped to spend time and money and energy and effort to help a stranger that had been beaten up on a road to Jericho.
God, help for me to love others fervently. God, help for it to begin in my home, for me to love my wife the way I should, or my husband, or my children, or my grandchildren, or my parents. Help for me to love them fervently. Let's continue in prayer and pray, oh God, will you give me the humility and the faithfulness I need to serve others as you have gifted me by your spirit. The humility to serve others for your glory and not my benefit. Humility to serve others, not looking for an entitlement, but rather as an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. Serve others in obedience and faithfulness to the gift that you've given. God, you've gifted each of us in specific ways according to the wisdom of your grace. Now, I pray that each of us would take seriously the call to be obedient and faithful in serving you so that we may be a church filled with hope. And God, for every person here who is suffering in large things or small, I pray that, oh, Jesus, you would be the good shepherd to them, that you would take them by the hand and nourish their hearts with your presence and your soul, their souls with your strength. I pray that as they make this journey through this season or, or moments of suffering, I pray, God, that, that they would take hold of you, Jesus, and, and, and as they take hold of you, they would become more like you, even in the fiery trial of the suffering. And as we walk through this valley of shadow, may we rejoice not because we enjoy the pain, but we rejoice because even as Jesus, we see the joy that the suffering is bringing. Now, Father, I pray for every person in the room today that you would overwhelm them with your presence, that you'd walk with them through this week, that we would be a people awakened to hope because we live each day with Christ in us who is our hope. And now be glorified by your church living on mission for you in the seven cities of Hampton Roads and around the world. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.